But I want to introduce it with a poem. And it's called Worship. Yeah, I don't have the author's name, but uh, let me just read it. We finally made it in the nick of time. Wonder if I gave Junior his dime. Is he going to lead singing? We need a change. He sings too fast and has too high a range. My, is it hot. And fans don't help much with all the singing, standing, and such. Who's that who's going to lead the prayer? Never saw him before. I'd remember that hair. I can say one thing. He's long-winded enough. God doesn't expect all those words and stuff. Sister, would you stop kicking my knee? My kids make a football out of me. Look at that hat. Well, did you ever? She's kind of cute and her dress is clever, but that hat, glad I don't have to wear it. Junior, turn loose of her sash and don't tear it. A sermon on giving, that's all I need. I wonder if he has a house full to feed. I'll give a dollar, just let him holler. Vacation next month, oh, what a dream. A tour of Texas will fish in the Gulf Stream. I believe that preacher has two sets of lungs. He's preached so long I forgot when he'd begun. Coming to church is so tiring to me. I'm getting so sleepy I can hardly see. Hope my roast isn't burned and gone dry. Oh, it's so hot. I think I will die. Well, finally, he's all through his preaching. He sure does his share of the teaching. Come on, kids, let's run home and eat dinner. Good morning, preacher. Fine sermon for a sinner. Well, we're going to talk about worship this morning. More specifically about how we praise God in our song service. And we want this subject to help us, and we're trying to emphasize the value and the importance of singing our worship to God. Christianity is distinctive in its stress upon spiritual singing. Christianity is a singing religion. It is as natural for a child of God to sing as it is for him to pray. In Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2, we read, O come, let us sing unto Jehovah. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Well, a number of times in the Bible, God is referred to as the rock. The rock of ages we'll sing about. The rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And so that's what we do when we come together. But some Christians take the duty and the privilege of singing for granted. And I hope there are none in this congregation like this. We can drift into sort of sloven habits, slovenly habits of half-hearted participation in the song service. Sometimes 
folks do not sing at all, or if they do, they merely mouth the words without concentrating on their real meaning. We do not, I don't think, in this congregation, neglect our song service. Some give little attention to the songs, maybe in other congregations, and little encouragement to the song leaders, but I hope we're not like that. Spiritual singing requires effort, and it should come from the heart naturally. Uh, singing doesn't just happen. We're preparing ourselves, and I'll go into that a little bit more later on. In the days that precede our worship services, each Christian should, should sing to the best of his ability. Now, if you're like me, you might think, well, I don't have much singing ability, but uh, I hope you'll still sing. Uh, I've always regretted not being able to sing better. And I'm not asking for sympathy or anything like this. I'm just telling you the way I feel about it. I remember in the third grade, for some reason, the teacher went down the line, the road, and asked each child to sing a line or something. I don't know why, but I was trying to get under my desk when it came down my road. But I couldn't help it. I had to go ahead and sing. And I was very embarrassed. But when I would go to worship with the congregation, I would sing out, and I've always done that. Uh, I'm not bragging or anything. It's just part of my nature. I don't have to feel embarrassed. And so my, uh, my range of my voice is about like that. It's between these two fingers like that. Um, as some can sing you know, way up here, and then some can go on way down here, but I'm just sort of right there. If you can look, a, look at a, a treble clef in five lines, and the middle line is a B, and that's about as high as I can get on a good day. And you come on down, not south, but lower, the bottom line or the first line is, uh, is E. Well, sometimes I can hit the, the next space of D. So my range is not even a full octave. I lack two or three notes, and that's where I'm singing, right, right there. But I'm trying to sing the best I can, and I know you are too, and that's what it's all about. There was one brother, and he was tone deaf. But he sang with all his might. I mean, he was exuberant, <laughs> and let it, he'd raise the roof when, they, when he'd sing. Well, people appreciate his enthusiasm, his exuberance. But there were a few folks who thought that they didn't sing well enough and he ought to quiet a little bit. And so they prevailed upon the elders to go out to his house. They came out to his house. He was a farmer. He was working out in the field. He had his mule and he was plowing. So they went out there to see him. And like the Apostle Paul, they wanted to start with words of encouragement, tell him things that he did that were good and truthful, of course. And they told him how much they appreciated his faithfulness. I mean, the doors weren't open and he was always there. He was a good neighbor. Anybody had a need, he was there. He'd do anything he could and he would sing and really sing out. In fact, after they commended him like that, before they went to the part where they were going to say, but could you quieten a little bit? He said, would one of you men hold the reins to my mule? I feel a song coming on. And so he just started singing then, just 
booming it out. Even his mule kind of turned around to see what, what was going on. And the elders just kind of shook their head to one another. After he finished the song, they didn't say any more. They just commended him for being so zealous and went on home. They ought to have been not going to him, but to some other folks who don't sing out like he did. We want to encourage one another to sing. Because, well, we'll talk about what we're showing by our songs. If more New Testament churches would concentrate on making their worship in song the very best singing possible, they might be surprised at the results. For one thing, good singing will attract visitors to the services. Now notice this. It will leave a favorable impression so that they will go away more impressed with what we worship with than what we worship without, if you know what I mean. Because folks come to visit, one of the things they think about when they leave is they don't use the instrument. Why not send them away think those folks can really sing. They're spirited. They are uplifting rather than, why didn't they have a piano in there or something like that? So we can impress them upon with what we're doing, not with what we're doing without. Saints and sinners alike <clears throat> are touched by a sincere, fervent, spirited singing. And such singing not only pleases God, but it blesses the participants. And it helps the church of God to grow spiritually and numerically. In Psalm 96, O sing unto Jehovah a new song. Sing unto Jehovah all the earth. Sing unto Jehovah, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is Jehovah and greatly to be praised. The Psalms are great in encouraging folks to sing praises to God. Remind us of our salvation and of our blessings for which we should praise God. Well, briefly now, let's notice some of the, the, the manner that the Lord tells us we should use in singing. When we turn to Ephesians 5 and 19, it says, Speaking one to another in psalms and, uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, thank you, making melody with your heart unto the Lord. Now, it starts off by saying speaking. We don't use an instrument, but you can't speak with an instrument. That's just one of the reasons. And we don't hum, and we don't whistle, because that's not singing either. We're speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and one another. And it's a mutual edification that's taking place. That's why we don't have choirs. We don't have quartets. We don't have uh, solos and things of that nature. I heard recently about a congregation in Dallas. And there may be others there and maybe a number throughout the brotherhood. But they've come up with something. They don't want to have a choir standing up before a congregation, but in, a, in effect, they've got a choir in their midst. You know how they do it? They give lapel mics to the best singers. Now, if I went in there, if they gave me one being a visitor, it wouldn't be long they came and took it back. 
But I can imagine they might have the tenors sitting here in the soprano. They may be sitting there. I don't know how to seat them. But uh, that's what they're doing to let those who have the best voice lift up. Well, we can lift our voices up without having something like uh, a lapel mic. So we're to speak to one another, and it's to be a mutual thing. But it goes on to say, with the heart. Singing and making melody with the heart unto the Lord. He is the object. Uh, some folks like it for entertainment. That's not biblical singing. I mean, the better we can sing, I guess the more God would be pleased. I don't know if he even judges how good or bad our singing is. He's just pleased when it comes from the heart. And that's what we're told to do. Making melody with the heart. Think about it. Singing is an expression of our heart. Now, what kind of a heart do I have? What kind of a heart do you have? What are you expressing? And whatever it is, it shows what kind of a heart we have. If one is sad, well, he automatically finds himself singing that type of a song. If one feels patriotic, maybe he'll sing the national anthem or some such song. And likewise, if a Christian feels happy and thankful, he'll give vent to his feelings in an outburst of song. James said, chapter 5 and verse 13, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise, that is, to God. We don't have to do that just in the services. When you're cheerful, James tells us to praise God. So it is not just a feeling of thankfulness, and it's certainly a feeling, but rather an actual offering of thanksgiving to the Creator when we sing. We're offering Him thanksgiving. Now, when Christians meet together and sing, think about this. Their music is not something which is just Produced at that time, you know, when the song leader begins us. It is the outpouring of a heart that has prepared itself previously and over a long period of time. You know, hearts don't just change when we come into the assembly. We bring our hearts with us. And what the word home, what the word yesterday, and all this week and last month and last year, of course, we're, we're developing our heart to be more spiritual but it involves time the grateful heart must express itself with thanksgiving also when we turn to 1 Corinthians 14 15 Paul said I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Now actually he's talking about the heart in two different senses. We have this Bible heart, the spiritual, scriptural heart, is the intellect. It's the emotions. It's the volition, the will. And it is the conscience. But here he's talking about the heart when he says the spirit. When we sing with the spirit, we're singing with the heart. But here I think he's suggesting the intense exaltation of the mind 
and heart. And with the understanding, or another version may say, we'll sing with, with the mind, with the understanding. So it's to bring the thoughts and the feelings into harmony with the sentiment that's sung. For example, when we're at a funeral and we're singing, the song is generally slower and softer to be in harmony with the occasion. When I have my funeral, I, I, I don't necessarily want the soft music. I mean, we're there, I think we will be there for um, celebrating. That's the way I want people to look at my funeral. We're celebrating. I've pro been promoted from this life to the best life there can be, to heaven. And so, just to think about, well, he's gone. Think about where I've gone. And uh, that might mean that you'd sing, you know, more spirited song, a happier song than a slow, quiet, respectful song. And on the other hand, invitation songs have their own character. And they should be designed to encourage the sinner to respond to the gospel. But when it's sung with no spirit, when we sing an invitation song just dragging, that's not good. And we cannot expect too much from that kind. I've heard gospel preachers mention certain well-known song leaders and say that when they lead the singing for a gospel meeting, they can always expect a number of responses. Because the singing is always up to the highest level. And it's always carried forth with forcefulness and uh, exuberance. Now, that's not to say that because there are not any responses, it's a song leader's fault. <laughs> the, the preacher is supposed to be leading them, teaching them what the gospel wants them to do. But I'm just trying to suggest that singing does have a lot to do with the number of responses. Um, a sluggishly sung invitation song, really, it's heartbreaking to a preacher. He builds up, or he's trying to build up a climax, and he hopes he's carried the loss to a point of earnest soul-searching, and then only to be let down by the congregation half-seen. That is, half the congregation is half-seen. And you say, well, it's your fault. You put them to sleep. And that may be so. But, but to help me overcome my problem and sing out when we have an invitation song. The words of any song will suggest the, uh, the spirit and the tempo. And let me give us some examples here. Now, I'm not all that much of a musician, but I understand, and I'm trying to look up Onward Christian Soldier, and it's on page 418, that 4-4 four, four time is march time. You don't want to drag a 4-4 four, four time song, do you? I think 6-8 is kind of in the same category. I don't know all that much about it, but Onward Christian Soldiers, 4-4 four, four time. And you can't sing this and drag it. I mean, you want to stand up and march around the room while you're singing, if we're singing it spiritedly. Onward Christian Soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. And then there are other verses that have that same theme. 
unword Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Well, you can't hardly sing that in a wrong way. It's a highly spirited march. Well, we're to sing with the understanding. Uh, the dictionary tells us that we're to understand, we're to comprehend, we're to see what the meaning of the words are when we sing them. Our song leaders remind us quite often, read the words, you know, listen to what the, the words are saying. We are teaching and admonishing one another. We're speaking one to another. And so primarily we're worshiping God, singing praises to him, but also we're speaking to one another. And so we need to understand what's being said in the song. And so to sing with the understanding implies that we must know what the words mean and we must follow the meaning as we repeat the words. Understanding the meaning of the words. When you run across a word that you don't understand, like some of our brothers, get your pen, if you don't have a piece of paper, and write it on the palm of your hand. <laughs> I know some brothers do this. And then when you get home, you'll say, well, where is that what I want to look up? And look it up in the English dictionary, the Bible, or wherever. Let me give you an example. On page 615, we have the song, Jesus Saves. And uh, we're talking about understanding the words. We've heard the joyful song, Jesus Saves, Jesus Saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward, tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. The Lord gave us a great commission. And this song is just encouraging us to take that proclamation that Jesus saves to the whole world. Now notice the second verse. Waft it on the rolling tide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. I never use that word waft except when I sing the song. So I had to look that word. What does it mean to, to waft it on the rolling tide? Well, it means just to cause it to move or to go by. That is, cause the, the news that Jesus saves to go by the rolling tide. As the ocean comes in with the tide and as it goes out, that's the way we're to make the gospel go. In and out. Take it to all the world. Waft it on the rolling tide. Cause it to move on that tide. Also, we want to follow the meaning of the words and when, we, when, uh, when we sing it over and over. Maybe this is a failure some of us may have. Our minds cannot concentrate as well as it ought to. When you just read a paragraph in the newspaper where and you're just reading it, well, it's easier to understand. But when you're singing a song, you've got to concentrate on the words and their meaning, on the notes, on, on the timing, and you want to look at the four-four time, or you want to look at the song leader, because he's, uh, he's giving us the time, and your voice. And so your concentration is somewhat divided. A good suggestion that's been made by somebody is that if the song leader would put up on the board the songs that he has selected, and if we would come five or ten minutes early 
earlier, before it starts, get our song book out, read the songs to ourselves. And then when we sing them, we'll be ready, more or less, to observe what the words say. I like what the British brethren do. Most of them do this. Before they start a song, they'll read the first verse. And then they'll sing it. And I think that's helpful. So we're talking about singing with the understanding. Another one is Rock of Ages on page 445. Rock of Ages, that's God, as we mentioned from Psalm 95, 1, 2. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from the river, riven side which flowed, be of sin the double cure, pins me from its guilt and power. Notice, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. The Bible uses the word cleft or cleave, in two opposite ways. It teaches that husbands and wives are to cleave to one another. But it also speaks about striking a rock and it is cleft or it cleaves. It's open. And that's just the opposite of being united. But here it's speaking about the rock of ages cleft for me. God is the rock of ages. And he's opened up a place where we can come in and find security and protection. It's like when Moses wanted to see God, Exodus 33. And God said, no man can look upon the face of uh, Jehovah and, uh, and live. And so what I'm going to do is to put you here in this cleft of the rock. And I'm going to put my hand over you and I'm going to pass by. And then when I'm gone a little ways, I'll let you look at my back. Not see all of his glory. But he put Moses in the cleft of the rock to protect him from the great glory that would have caused his death had he looked then. Also a couple of verse, a couple of songs before that. 443, I don't know if we sing this here or not, but I'm going to mention it the next time we have our song service. It's a, it's a nice song. Rock in the desert. Oh, rock in the desert, I fly unto thee. When tempest and storms sweep the sky, I hide in the cleft that was riven for me. For safety on thee I rely. O rock in the desert, I'm hiding in thee till the storms of life's journey are past. Thou rock of my refuge, my soul safely keep, O receive it in heaven at last. Rock of ages cleft for me. All right, that's, uh, we're almost through. Colossians 3 and 16 also speaks about our scene. With all wisdom, let the word of Christ dwell within you, 